Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. And this is another instalment of Murder and Mayhem, the pop-up podcast where we are bringing you 31 days of the world's best crime and thriller authors. Of course, if you would like the ebook version, you can also find an ebook, a free ebook, A Month of Murder and Mayhem, it's called, where you get a sneak peek into the top tips from these authors. If you kind of like the analog way of consuming things, then you can get that for free at murdercourse.com. Now, these interviews originally appeared in our other podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, and that's where we feature writers from all different genres and all different walks of life, from editors and publishers and journalists to crime writers, historical fiction writers, popular women's fiction, you name it, we've got it it over there in that podcast. However, for Crime and Thriller Month, which is what this podcast is celebrating, we wanted to curate only the best crime and thriller authors for you so you have them all in one spot. This episode, we're talking to Linwood Barclay, and he is the number one internationally best-selling author of 13 novels, including Trust Your Eyes, A Tap on the Window, No Time for Goodbye, and that novel's follow-up, No Safe House. Now, over the years, several of Linwood's novels have been optioned for film and television, and most recently, No Time for Goodbye has been optioned for television in France, and in 2012, Trust Your Eyes was created a bidding war between Universal and Warner Brothers. Now, Linwood was born in the United States, but he moved to Canada, or his family moved to Canada, before he was four years old, and that's where he has been living ever since. He 
actually began his career as a journalist and columnist before moving into novels. So Linwood released his first book in 2004, but then retired from journalism in 2008 to concentrate on novel writing full-time. So I spoke to Linwood shortly after his book, Fear the Worst, was released. Let's have a listen to Linwood Barclay. So thanks for joining us today, Lynn Wood. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Now tell me, what is so appealing about writing thrillers for you? Oh, well, it's the kind of thing I've always really wanted to write from the time I was probably in my mid-teens or so. I, I, I think I like the format because, I mean, I, first of all, I think I'd be the first to admit I'm not what you would call a literary author because I like to, I, I like a story that just moves. And I, and I, I've always liked the, 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 the format of a thriller or a mystery because, because they have such a strong plot. To me, it's like having this sort of spine that runs through the story. And then as long as you've got that, you can sort of branch out and do different things while you're going along that, that, that trip, mm. but I like the fact that that thrillers give you this uh, this this strong plot on which to hang these characters and these situations and and so forth. So it's a it's a it's a genre. It's a it's a style. It's a you know it's a type of writing that really appeals to me. So because it has to be so plot driven and and all of that, where do you get your ideas from? Where do you get your inspiration from? Well, I get them from things that are really tricked ordinary. I mean, I I uh, I'm not. A writer who's interested in plots about you know international assassinations or you know uh, introducing some sort of bio terrorist threat into the environment. Not, I just don't care about those things. They bore me because I can't identify with them. Like that's the stuff that happens in you know some far off. You know, it, it just it just doesn't touch. It doesn't hit me where I live. Mm. So they only happen uh, to Jack Bauer. Exactly, which I love. You know, like I love 24, but I never feel scared watching 24 because mm. it's so out there. I think, well, this is not going to happen to me, you know. And so I'm when I'm doing a thriller, I try to uh, look for this, the sort of menace in the everyday, in the ordinary. I mean, what if, if, if sort of the things that happen every day go slightly off the rails, what could happen from that? You know, like I say, you you know, you you're at the mall and you back up your car and you dent the fender of the wife of a mob guy or something. I mean, mm. or the wrong mail gets you know, mail gets delivered to the wrong house, or you know, you're or like in fear of the worst, your kid doesn't come home from work, mm. and and I think about I think about the the things that make me anxious uh, on in a sort of everyday situation are those things that I look at and I think, well, how do you ratchet that up? How do you take a sort of everyday anxiety mm. and push it to the limit? And because there's so much that needs to go into a thriller, apart from the characters, there's a lot of things to do with the plot. How do you actually plot that out in your head? Do, is there some kind of systematic way or do you just let it flow out of you as some writers do? 
Well, I don't. I have to have something of a plan. I mean, I usually I start with what I would call a hook. I need an opening. I need some way into a story that's really interesting, and and then I. So when I have my hook, my way in, then I start figuring out everything around it. How do we get to this point? Why did this happen? How and so forth. And I'll start making notes and filling up a notebook with notes. And it's very kind of random thoughts and a bit of this and a bit of that. And I might get. 20 pages of notes, if that. And, and I, once I kind of know the sort of main arc of the story, where if I know my end point, I know who did what, I can't, I find it hard to plot anything else beyond that. Mm. Because I find that it's during the writing of the piece that all these things occur to me. Like, you write a, you write a chapter and you put characters in a particular situation and you think, well, gee, what would be the logical thing that would happen out of that confrontation? And and once I've written it, it becomes obvious to me what that would be. So then I might go off on another direction. But I I still keep coming back to that sort of spine of the story that I that I know that I need to follow. So so like I know where I'm going to end up, but often I find I end up surprising myself along the way. Things happen that I did not know were going to happen. Mm. Now you started off as a journalist mm-hmm. before moving on to a, being a humor columnist at the Toronto Star, and right. of course you write you write thrillers. They're all very very different forms of writing. Mm-hmm. How did you transition from you know journalism to humor columns to thriller writing? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's I had all of these things I had been doing at some point earlier on. Anyway, I mean, even when I was in in university, I was interested in writing humor pieces. And when I was in my teens, probably before I was even twenty two years old, I had written two or three mystery novels, which thankfully were not published. Not that there was even a remote chance that anyone would have published them. <laughs> but I, it's a kind of writing that I had always liked. Mm-hmm. But because no one was interested in sort of hiring a 22-year-old uh, as a best-selling novelist, <laughs> um, I thought, well, perhaps I should consider going into newspapers because you would get paid money to write every single day. Yeah, and it might, it might not necessarily be things that you were interested in writing about. Yeah. I mean, for a while at this first paper I was at, I had uh, I, uh, one of my responsibilities was the agricultural beat. Oh. And I was not an area with which I had a lot of familiarity. And, but, but you were writing every day. And so you were kind of keeping the machinery oiled. So you're always writing. And, and then when I got to the Toronto Star in 1981, I was hired as an editor. And my first 12 years there, I was in all sorts of editing jobs. I was an assistant city editor. I was a um, news editor. I was the living section editor. I was the chief copy editor. I was all these different editing jobs and did all those. And so I knew, I mean, I knew inside out how the paper worked and how it ran and how stories got from assignment into the paper and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And when an opportunity came up to write a column in 1993, I had actually written a column for a couple of years at a very small paper back in the in the late uh, in the like 1979 to 1981, mm-hmm. and I had won an award for that, and it was a kind of writing that I really liked. And so when this opportunity came up, I jumped at it, mm-hmm. and so I wrote. You know, I, I wrote that column for 15, 15 years, mm-hmm. three columns a week. And, uh, but I still had always wanted to do crime fiction. Mm. And, uh, so, I mean, I wrote, did four, four books in Canada that were sort of humor related. And then in the mid, you know, like starting around 2003, I wanted to do crime fiction and I wrote 
for sort of comic thrillers, which haven't come out here yet. They've only been out in North America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and started doing that. And, <clears throat> and even though I was writing you know, a, a novel a year, I was still doing about 130 columns a year. Mm. And you just kind of, uh, you know, it's, some people seem to think there would be, it would be a tricky transition, but it's not. I mean, you, you work on the book, and then you've got a column to do, and you just turn, and you bang out a column. And, and I was able to kind of just like, sw- like turning a switch, I could go from doing one thing and doing the other thing. Mm. And, uh, and, you had, and I really didn't have the luxury of not being able to do that because you didn't have time. Because when you have three columns you have to deliver every, every week, mm. you can't sort of think, well, I'm sorry, I can't do today's column because I'm burned out from writing my book. Well, they'd say, well, that's great because then we don't have to pay you. Yes. <laughs> you <know? laughs> So uh, having a column certainly instills a lot of discipline because you have no choice. That's right. So when you um, are writing your books, is there some kind of writing routine? Do you, you know, get into the zone in some way? Do you have a bit of a ritual? What happens? Well, when I am doing a book, now it usually takes me anywhere from, you know, two to three months to write a first draft of a novel. Mm -hmm. And so I try to find a period of time where we're not traveling or anything because I'd like to do it all kind of at once. And and so I start work around 8.30 or 9 in the morning. And, uh, of course, John Stewart. You guys watch John Stewart here? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the the comedy channel at home repeats his show from the night before at 9 a.m. Oh, right. so, I often, so I often find that I drift towards the television and I watch John Stewart till 9.30, and then I really get to work. Right. And um, so I just saw so work from, uh, you know, till about 4 o'clock or 4.30 or 5 most days mm-hmm. while I'm actually doing a book. Mm-hmm and take some time for lunch, and I just kind of work through. And, you know, sometime around 2 o'clock when I think I need to move, I'll get up and go play nine holes of Nintendo Wii Golf. <laughs> and then, well, having done that, I will go back to work. And, uh, you know, so I, so I just kind of keeps me moving. But but I just kind of, I, I when I like I say, when I'm in the thick of writing a book, I just want to get it done. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have this sort of situation where I have a a, a, a week or two-week break between part of the times of writing on it because I'll start writing about some character named George and when I get back to work I'm calling him Greg or something (laughs) and I think this is not good and uh, so that's the way I kind of like to do it Um, and I generally perhaps this is all the newspaper training but I usually I tend to deliver manuscripts to my publisher months in advance Like literally, like months early. And, Are they shocked? Well, they're getting used to it, yeah. and and um, and sometimes they'll think, you know what, maybe we can publish it sooner. But I, but they usually don't. But I, but it's, I think that uh, when you write columns, one of the joys about newspaper writing is you write this thing, and within hours you see it in print. Yeah. So you get this kind of quick hit. It's like a drug. You know, you you, you write it, and there it is, and you can uh, bask in the glory or the shame, whichever it is. And but when you write books, you finish them, and it's a year later mm. before it comes out. And by the time it comes out, people will say, "Why did you have characters such and such do this?" And you're thinking, "Who are they talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> 
because you've already probably written three quarters of another book by then. Yeah. And and so maybe I write them really quickly because I'm convinced that if I, I I'm deluded into thinking that if I write them quickly, my publisher will publish it the next day or something. <laughs> but sadly, it doesn't work that way. It sounds like you have no trouble letting the words flow, because, and obviously you've got that discipline, the newspaper background that helps you do that. Do you ever suffer from writer's block or get stuck in any way then? Well, yes and no. I mean, sometimes you get stuck on a plot. I'll get stuck on a plot point. I'll sort of reach a point and I think, okay, I really have to regroup here. I have to sort of figure out where I'm going. But I don't even think that's writer's block so much as that's just part of the writing. Mm. So then you go for a walk or you cut the lawn or you mm-hmm. go do something to sort of you still think about it, but but you just walk away for a while. Or but another nine holes of Nintendo week. Or, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or tennis. Nintendo tennis is also really good. <laughs> and uh, so, or, or, so I'll go do that. But to me, that's also part of it. And, and you know, I love it when people ask about writer's block because nobody ever asks, you know, plumbers if they get plumber's block. <laughs> you know, like, nobody says, it's like, well, I was getting ready to put this ball cock assembly in the toilet, and you know what? I just was, I couldn't do it. You know, I just couldn't do it. Nobody asks them that because it's their job. And for me, writing is a job, mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful job, and I love the job, but it's a job. Mm-hmm. And so you get up, and you then you do the work, and, and you carry on. Like, I... I don't overly romanticize the writing as if it's some, oh, you know, this brilliant flash of genius strikes and then you write and it's, and then suddenly you can't do it. And so then you drink a bottle of wine and go sleep with some woman you don't know. And then you come back to it. Like I just, it's a job. And, and, uh, and so I don't get what you would call writer's block Mm -hmm. any more than, than, you know, you get right. You get blocked in in doing interviewing, or that other people mm. get blocked in doing what to do because it's work. Mm. Now, with thrillers particularly, it's so important to be credible and believable. And so, when you're writing your thrillers, and you need to do a lot of, do you need to do a lot of research into the area that you're writing about? And how do you go about that? I don't do an awful lot of research because mm-hmm. I'm generally writing about an environment or a world that I know about that I've lived in because I'm not writing about you know Soviet spies or <laughs> or CSI you know criminal forensic investigators I my books are typically about ordinary people mm. who have extraordinary things happen to them so so in that sense it's mostly the you know the the research comes out of my imagination but there are moments there I can fear the worst um uh, and fear the worst for whatever it is, whether it's a great thriller or a terrible thriller or whatever it is. It, I believe it is the first thriller in which the the hero is a car salesman. <laughs> and car salesmen are not generally thought of as heroic figures. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I have two very good friends who are both retired car salesmen. Right. And I took them to lunch and I said, tell me everything. And tell me stories. And one of them, which is a story that got into the book, is uh, you know one day a guy came and wanted to take a test drive of a of a, of a pickup truck, mm-hmm. and they said okay, you know. And when he brought it back, it was odd, clear that he had used it to deliver manure. Oh. And he's like, "Who would do that? Like you know, you take a you take a you know, so it's like well, maybe you borrow you take a test drive of a of a car to move your friends or something." And I mean, but the things that. What was shocking was not the tactics that car salesmen used. What was shocking was things that customers had done. Mm. And, and I heard all these stories, and I just loved it. And so a lot of those stories 
kind of uh, I, I, you know, they got woven into uh, into fear the worst, mm. and um, which and and it's perhaps it's not the most glamorous occupation to have researched, but I think it works for me because it's an ordinary job, mm. and um, I mean, and I wrote a book. Uh, that came, most recently came out called Too Close to Home. Yeah. And, you know, my hero in that was a guy who cut lawns. He ran a lawn service. Mm. Now, Too Close to Home was, uh, became a number one bestseller in the UK, knocking John Grisham off the top spot. Yeah, go it's, figure, eh? Yeah, no mean feat. So <laughs> how did that feel? Did you ever think, did you think that your books were always going to be this successful? No, no. I, well, I am the kind of person, as my wife would tell you, who always thinks there is still time for things to fail. There's still time for everything to go wrong. Uh, even if they're going well, it's like, okay, they're going well now, but it's just a matter of time before things turn around and go badly. So to have uh, this, the, I had always, of course, would have loved to have achieved great success, but I had not ex- really believed it could happen. Mm-hmm. So when No Time for Goodbye became a huge hit in the UK, I was, you know, with, with, with of course, the help of Richard and Judy, uh, I was thrilled. And But, you know, I was also very nervous about Too Close to Home because I thought, okay, that's not a book club pick. Mm-hmm. And will readers be loyal to the author's or will they be loyal to the selections of the book clubs? Mm. And so will they follow an author to his next book? So when Too Close to Home uh, went to number one on the hardcover fiction list, I was just, I was thrilled. Mm. I was really thrilled. And that comes out in paperback in the UK in another week and a half or two weeks. And so I, I mean, you know, I'm very interested to see how that will go. Yeah. Well, the success of your books now means you can write full time. But yeah. if you are only, if it only takes you two or three months <laughs> to write a book, what are you doing the rest of the time? Well, I'll tell you what I thought I would be doing. <laughs> I thought I would be sitting poolside or sitting on the deck with my feet up and lounging about. I mean, first of all, a book does take about. Takes a rough draft takes me two months, but then I usually have to do a rewrite yeah. at my editor's help, and then there's proofing. So, like I, my anticipation was that that writing a book a year would over the, oh a year occupy six months. Yeah. So I thought I'll have six months off to do nothing, <laughs> and then then they said we would like you to tour Hong Kong, Australia, and New Zealand, <laughs> and then my U.S. publisher said we want you to do a seven city U.S. tour. And then my Canadian publisher said, we want you to do a Canadian tour. And then they said, we want you to go to, you know, the big annual Mystery Writers Conference in the U.S., BoucherCon. Mm-hmm. And, and then I realized, this is not, this is all great, but it's, it's not what I, I thought I would have. I thought I would have a lot of free time. Mm-hmm. And it has not worked out that way. And believe me, I'm not complaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, I have a very good friend named David Hewson who writes thrillers. He's in, in, in England. And he also had been a columnist for the uh, the London Times, and he said when he quit that job, he expected to have all this free time, and he found that the business of books expanded to fill all that other time. Yes, and that's why that's what has happened to me. And uh, but I think that I think what that is also means it's evidence that the books have have you know appealed to a lot of people. And that's what's kind of made this happen, you know, this extra sort of touring about. So I'm not complaining. 
Sure. So but I do have, I am hoping to have a solid month where I can do nothing but Nintendo Golf. <laughs> you know, just, I'll just do nothing else. And then by the time it's over, my arm will be in traction or something, and I'll have <laughs> repetitive strain injury, you know? So are you co- going to concentrate on thrillers now, or are you interested in exploring other genres apart from humor or thrillers? No, I, I'm very comfortable, uh, and I think I've kind of found my, I've found my niche. Mm. I think that this thriller thing works very well for me. I, uh, sometimes I have to, I mean, I still think that the thrillers that I'm doing now, which are darker than the first four mysteries I wrote, um, <clears throat> they still have a bit of, I think, funny moments in them mm. that kind of grow naturally out of the characters and what's happening. But every once in a while, I have to rein myself in. I'll write a scene that's really almost farcical. And my agent or my editor say, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you're not writing, this is one of your earlier books. Like, you have, you're not doing a, one of your silly columns for the Toronto Star. And I realized that I've kind of, it's like I've fallen off the wagon kind of right. thing. And, uh, and I have to go back and think, no, it's not that kind of a book. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I like this, I feel very comfortable in this, uh, in this genre. And, mm. I'm, and I, I want to get better at it. So out of No Time for Goodbye and Too Close to Home and Now Fear the Worst, is there a favorite out of these babies? Or my there, Fear the Worst is my favorite. Mm-hmm, I really do. I, 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 I'm not, when I did No Time for Goodbye, I would have said that was my favorite, and I didn't expect to do one that I would like more. But Fear the Worst, I am really happy with this one. Mm. Um, now, I sometimes know that authors are their own worst judges of their stuff so if i think it's great it might not be <laughs> you know cause, but but i i it's it's the book i'm the happiest with to me it's the one that holds together the best it also has for me the most satisfying sort of last page of any book that i've done i right. i'm i feel very good about how it ends it's not mm. it's a bit of a downer ending but I think to some readers, but I think it's it's the right ending, and it works. I'm really happy with how it came together. And now that you have several un- books under your belt, does the process get easier as you do more? I I do find that I'm learning all the time. I'm still learning. Um, I think the process. I not. I don't know that it's easier. It's sort of. I think the tricky part is is coming up with another idea that's as good as the ones you've already done mm. and to not look as though you're coasting or, and I mean, I'm too far too new at this to start coasting. And so it's, it's, that's to me is the challenge is to find another story that's as good as the ones that you've already done. Mm. But I do find that I really do find that I'm learning and I'm learning more and more what works and what doesn't and what I shouldn't do and what, and and I'm also learning to, to sort of listen to the voice inside my head that says, you know, because uh, I mean, I wrote, I wrote uh, uh, last year, I wrote two books, mm-hmm. one of which will never see the light of day. And it was the it was a book that I it was the seventh novel I'd written. All the ones before had gone very well. I wrote this book. And while I was doing it, I thought, oh, I don't know. It's not it's not doesn't feel like the others. It's not clicking. But this is the book I said I would write. And I'm going to write this damn book. And I wrote it. And my agent read it, and she said, "What a mess this is!" <laughs> you know, and and she said, knowing how quickly I work, she said, "You could write another novel from scratch in less time than it would take to fix what's wrong with this book." <laughs> and and if I had listened to that little voice in my head, I would have stopped writing that book. Yeah. 
And now I know. And, and, and I don't even feel badly about the time I spent on that book because I learned a lot from doing it. I learned what doesn't work, and I learned that when you run into certain problems, that's, then you should either stop or, or rethink it or walk away from it. Mm-hmm. But I felt there was some sort of pride or something. Was, was I thought, well, I've started this book, and I will finish it. But I, it was a mistake, too. Mm-hmm. And so that book was uh, was really a learning experience for me. Relegated that, to the bottom drawer. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I wrote that book, and, and then, of course, I was in a panic because I thought, well, I have to do – I have another book. I have to produce another book. Yes. And, and I had intended to start writing Fear the Worst about seven or eight months you know, from that point. Mm. But I took a week off and felt sorry for myself, and I started writing Fear the Worst. <laughs> and, and I was so worried about the time I'd lost, I wrote Fear the Worst, the first draft, in seven weeks. Oh, my. And uh, now it took a little more polishing to get it into shape where it should be, but that first draft just came out in a kind of white heat because I was... Mm. Felt sort of, I was so concerned about the time I had lost. Sure. I'm sure many writers would love to be able to be as quick and prolific. And um, anyway, on a final note, what would your advice be for would be thriller writers out there who are listening to this? Well, I think it would be to just to persevere, to mm-hmm. keep going. I mean, I wanted to be a thriller writer when I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. Now, this may be incredibly discouraging news for, for, for aspiring thriller writers, but the, the thing was that it was a dream that I never let go of, and I kept at it, and it happened a lot later than I had, might have hoped, but it did happen. So I think that is to you know, take the rejections, don't worry about them, just keep going. It doesn't matter how many rejections you might get, you just have to persevere and keep going. And I guess the other advice would be to read as much as you can, because... I find I learn as much from reading a wide variety of authors, and not just genre authors, not just thriller writers. Mm. I mean, I'm reading Richard, uh, I'm on my like sixth Richard Yates book right now, mm. having read Revolutionary Road mm. and loving it, and I still haven't seen the movie. Mm. And now I'm reading all his, his stuff, and he's not a thriller writer at all, but you can learn a lot about character and other things that you could use in your own writing. And so... Oh, yeah, that would be persevere and keep reading. Mm, wonderful. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Linwood. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. So I love how Linwood talks about the fact that being a novelist is really a full-time job, even if writing only takes up six months of the year. Because if you want to be a successful novelist, it's also about the promotion and the touring and all of that kind of stuff and the interacting with fans. These days, it's even more and more important that you need to build your author platform. And once you've built it, you need to maintain it. And that's just part and parcel of being an author these days. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Linwood Barclay. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. With online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing, students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.